Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody, welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala, and I know too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's why we're all here today. With me, usually as <laughs> always, but maybe for the first time last week, took a leave of, of illness, and we want to know how she's doing. Happy to have her back, the voice of the people, the skeptic. Kristen stuttered. Kristen, the people want to know. They want to know for sure. I mean, you I mean, were diagnosed Joe, with COVID. How are you? Yeah, I, you know, here's the thing. I got COVID just to get a week off of this show. Uh, <laughs> finally, he won't let, notoriously will not let us take a break. Uh, and therefore <laughs> I found, but I found a loophole, baby. Um, mm-hmm. uh, no, I'm doing okay. I was just uh, saying this before we got on air, but I, I t- today is day 10 for me since I developed symptoms and I did get like a most, a negative test. I would consider consider it negative. Uh, it, there's, it's like the faintest whisper of a line still on there. So I definitely, my body's still fighting it, but uh, the CDC says I'm no longer contagious uh, starting tomorrow. So, you know, get ready to kiss uh, everybody. <laughs> no, uh, I will still be wearing a mask in public regardless, but yeah, I'm feeling a lot better than I did a week ago. Imagining trying to record the show a week ago, it's absurd. I, I was in no, I was in no condition. And, you know, I, like I've said, I'm fully vaccinated and boosted and I'm pretty sure that was Omicron and it still really knocked me out. And I'm still having some lingering stuff that I'm working uh, with and against. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, do, do not recommend, uh, certainly wouldn't be one of those folks just being like, oh yeah, COVID's chill uh definitely no, not you heard it here yeah um but um, i am i do i do believe that i am improving day by day uh, well i'm glad to hear that and i'm sure our listeners are as well they have sent very uh kind well-wishing messages our way and hopefully from here on out hopefully by next week you're back to 100 but yes glad to hear that thank you and, uh, and thank you to all our listeners yeah who sent me well wishes i appreciate it but we're here the pod continues. Oh my gosh. And then we came back to talk about Eminem. Wow. <laughs> so let's uh, let's bring in our guest. Very excited to have her with us. She is an author and communication scholar. Specifically, she's the author of a book called Eminem, The Real Slim Shady. Uh, Marsha Dawkins is with us. Hi, Marsha. Hi. So happy to be here. Thank you so much for, for joining us. You know, the first question I always ask our guests, because it's one that 
you don't always know with the institution that is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, what is your reference level for this thing, if any at all? What I know about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is that it's really important and attempting to be more culturally inclusive, but having a lot of trouble with it in this moment in 2022. So I don't know where that rates on your scale of what folks know and don't know, but that's where I am. I'd say that's an informed opinion. Uh, Not even an opinion. That's like, that's pretty much a fact. Yeah, Uh, that's it. You nailed it. They're really saying that they're trying. (laughs) And they have made strides. It's just, they're so far behind that it would really take a lot of, um, I don't know, the words that I often use are all black female ballot, but don't give them any other choices. I don't know. We'll see. They're out there. They're doing their best. Yeah. Calibrate that however you will. (laughs) And so since you've never been on the show before, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of introduce yourself to our listeners, and we can do that via this year's ballot. Let's play. Marsha is a Rock Hall voter. You get up to five slots to choose from this ballot. Who would you choose? Okay, so I have to say Eminem, obviously. Number um, one, check. Then I got to go with Tribe Called Quest. Good move. Then Dion Warwick. Also good. I'm liking this. How can we not? I really want six votes, but okay. Then Kate Bush. Mm. And for my last vote, it's a tie between Fela Kuti and the Eurythmics. That one's hard. That is hard. I can't commit. If you were voting, I would probably say, put your weight behind the Eurythmics with a better chance of of getting it to be strategic. Mm Mm-hmm. But since you're not really voting, you don't have to be strategic. You can follow your heart. That's that's where the heart leads. That's I mean, listen, what Eminem, Tribe Called Quest, Dionne Warwick, Kate Bush, and then either Fela Kuti or Eurythmics. Good ballot. That's a good ballot. We talk about this every week. Who's got a chance and like voting strategically versus voting your taste versus voting your heart versus voting objectively rather than subjectively. And there's a ton of like approaches you can have to a ballot. And, you know, it's just always so thrilling every week to see what people kind of choose. And it really, I think that with Dolly's I don't know. What's attempted the, withdrawal. What's the word we're using for that? Yeah, attempted withdrawal. It just opens up the field a lot, a lot more. I think I, it probably won't be surprising or shocking. It'll probably still be the five that we think it's going to be, but it feels a little less like a done deal or, you know, the five to six or five mm-hmm. to seven that we think have a good shot. Well, starting next week, we will be getting on the phones. Oh my gosh. We're going to be contacting actual voters and either finding out who they voted for or attempting to influence them with their unfilled out ballots. So look forward to that, listeners. That begins 2022 series of the electioneering. That sounds like some courageous influencing is going to be happening there. I'm excited. We really do our best. We're unpaid lobbyists (laughs) in the highest degree. Yeah, we're out here. We're trying to move the needle on the rock hall. We'll see how it goes. But Marsha, so we are talking about Eminem this week. This is our final artist episode. We've been covering the artists on the ballot. This is the last one that we have not tackled yet. Uh, and I'm excited that you're with us to talk about him. So let's uh, let's start from the beginning. Do you remember the first time you heard Eminem? I do remember the first time I heard Eminem. It was 1998, and I was 
just graduated from college, starting my uh, master's degree at NYU, and I knew my topic of interest was underground hip hop. So I was going to all the shows, listening, especially to Raucous Records at the, at the time, because they had their office around the corner from Washington Square. And I was in there and I heard this song called Five Star General. It's a Bible class with a gun, blast of the nun. Fuck hell, Satan sent my ass to the sun. I wasn't born, I was hatched. Dumped in the trash with a note attached. Saying someone please whip this brass ass. This whiny kind of off the beat voice, like right in the middle. And I was like, okay, who's this? What's going on? This is strange. And then I listened again. And the content was absolutely off the wall. I mean, it was World War III, it was nuns, it was his mother, <laughs> everything it could be. And I was just like, I need to know more. So I went immediately to see my favorite DJ and friend, DJ Bazooka Joe Lopez at the time, who was in the Bronx. And I was like, okay, who is this guy, Eminem? Like they told me, I need to go find out more, but I can't find anything. So he sent me down the rabbit hole, looked at the Rap Olympics, and I was able to really appreciate the speed and the different attention to rhythm that he had. And then I started listening to his first record called Infinite. And I was like, okay, why does he sound like Nas on here? This is really weird. Like you're trying to sound like Nas, then you're really whiny and nasal over here. I just had to know more. And so all of this was in like 1988 to 1999. And then I was coming home and always stopped by my grandpa's place. I promise I'm going somewhere. <laughs> my grandpa in Queens, take the F train, you get off. Grandpa's place was right there. So I went to go hang out with grandpa, who was at the time 87 years old, only Spanish speaking, a reverend. And I get to the front door and like, I'm like, am I hearing Eminem? Like, this is, this is not right. So I go in and like the TV's blasting MTV, my name is, and my grandpa's like not asleep, really paying attention to what's <laughs> going on. And I was like, okay, I let it play out. I just sat down and watched and I was like, okay, what's going on? And he was like, I don't know what it is about this guy, but I feel like in another world, he would have been some kind of religious proselytizer. Like <laughs> he really can rap. And I was like, well, do you understand what he's saying? I think he's saying hi or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay, that's, that's part of it. We wound up having a lot of larger talks about the content. But I said to myself, okay, if this guy's voice can like stop me in my tracks in the middle of a bunch of research about underground hip hop, send me on a wild goose chase all over New York City and have me wind up in my Spanish speaking 87 year old grandpa's house, having a slice of pizza talking about this. I'm like, there's something definitely here. And so that's where kind of my um, real interest and appreciation for this artist began. What a great story. Yeah, that's, yeah, that is a great story. <laughs> Oftentimes we'll ask people, do you remember the first time? And they don't have and that say no. <laughs> uh, clear of a, a recollection that was very beautiful. Um, yeah, and, and it you. makes it makes me think, I, I never considered from a, you know, not English speaking perspective, the fact that one of the first things you learn in another language is, hi, my name is, <laughs> and, and how easy that would be to fully understand if that's your hook in your song. Yeah. 
thinking globally, thinking globally from the, <laughs> from the get-go, from the jump, there goes Eminem. I think so. I mean, I'm sure we'll get to this, but the more I've kind of studied his work and been a fan and really tried to follow thoughtfully, I realized what a strategic thinker and leader he is and has become. So I hope, I hope we get to some of that later too. Yeah. Well, I, I love, so you kind of discovered him before the, you know, the Slim Shady LP, which was the big breakout uh, he was still, you know, toiling in the underground. And then I want to know what's the journey to deciding to write a book about him? So there are really three reasons, I guess. Um, so I should just say, like, I have my PhD in rhetorical communication and argumentation. So I like to talk in like threes. So hopefully you'll bear with me there. But mm -hmm. I think there are three real reasons why I wrote the book. And the first is it just felt natural, right? I'm a kid from Queens, New York. I grew up with hip hop. I remember seeing like Run DMC and LL Cool J in the parks when I was a kid. Coincidentally, my grandpa was the one who would take me to the parks to go see them, right? So it was just kind of always there for me culturally and in my DNA as a city kid. And then I really wanted an excuse to listen to his music and not only like feel like I was doing something um, productive for myself and my own career, but also really figure out if there was a strategy there and if so, what it might be and why it was so compelling, whatever was happening. And then finally, I wanted to learn, there's this line in, I think it's the real Slim Shady where he said, feminist women love Eminem. And that one just hit me. And I was like, okay, we might be ironic there, but there also might be a connotative level there that um, that needs some some parsing out. And so I really took that as a challenge. So as someone who likes to think of myself as a feminist and also has come to love Eminem's music over the years, I wanted to see if there was some truth. And so that's kind of the journey that it went on. And so when I got through my master's degree and started on my PhD, I wrote an article for a class and my advisor was like, I think you need to, you know, submit this, try to get it published. And so I did it the old, boring academic way, which was fine. And somehow wound up being well-named in terms of SEO so that when it was time mm -hmm. to write a book about Eminem in the early 2000s, my name was right there at the top because very few folks had looked at him in that way. And the journey began. Well, and yeah, I mean, like kind of hip hop and rap music was just like a burgeoning field of academic study at that time too. So you really got in there. You know, it's very interesting because I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and I was in high school and college when he was really breaking onto the scene. And so like, I have like all these very mixed feelings about it because it was a lot of white male posturing in my school. Eminem was like the backdrop to white male aggression and posturing and fucking like hurt feelings like white male tears it was just like a lot for me to deal with and I mean they were not seeing it in any ironic sense of the word I was seeing a lot of blatant misogyny blatant homophobia people using that as like a pass to adopt and you know kind of boost those damaging perspectives and I think I and I come at it from just like such a like my personal relationship to it was fraught because of that and I understand I think what's interesting about him is he's always been very self-aware of the way that the media 
uses him and the use of his race as like a proxy for white people to be like, it's okay for me. It's just like such a fascinating person to like break through at such a fascinating time. And then also with such an intricate message that is, you know, you can really look at it through a prism, like through multiple lenses and prisms. And, you know, I came at it from the one that I came at it from. And so I'm just like, oh, Eminem, I roll. But then, you know, I've talked many times on the show about the iced tea rap documentary where you just see how much he is a true student and fan of the craft. And he is like an artist with regard to his style. And I really do respect that and stuff. But like, I've been personally harmed by like Eminem's existence in society. And so I'm like, also very eye-rolly about the whole thing as well. It's a complicated relationship. That's for sure. And I mean, I hear you and feel the same way, especially early on when I was, you know, trying to work through this and think about it. And it's like, okay, I remember having a conversation with my editor for the book. I was like, I don't know if I can say like what my favorite Eminem song is because this could be more than an eye roll, very off-putting. And what do we have to say here about like misogyny, damage, trauma, bile being put into the cultural atmosphere. And I've come to the conclusion over time that so much of this was like what my grandpa said. What if this guy to some degree was using these message, whether he knew it or not, as like a cultural prophecy of what might come if this stuff is unchecked, right? And I think we can see that in our politics. I think we see that in just social media and our lack of communication and willingness to hear each other out, right? And then in these very damaging day-to-day interactions that we have that are so shame-based, so filled with narcissism and this domination reflex, right? It's like, it's all there in the work. And it's been there for 25, hard to believe, 25 years. I don't know if it's chicken or the egg, right? You know, was he trying to show us where we were and where we are and where we might be going? Or was he just saying what he felt, what one guy felt at one moment in time or all of the above or something else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also just, I think too, we were too binary in criticism of Eminem at the time when he first came out. I feel like there was this idea of like, he's either the best or the worst and that we couldn't necessarily have more nuanced conversation around what was going on. And I think he, I mean, also he was young. I was young. (laughs) It was like a different time in the world and stuff. And like, we weren't used to kind of having cultural and we're still not, we're very binary and we've gotten more and more entrenched in binary about our beliefs and stuff. But I I think too, that is we like, weren't almost like ready to have the conversation that he was making us have by being so popular. I think too, that was like a big thing for me in high school was seeing fetishization of an abusive relationship of like girls being like, that's love. I want someone who wants to like lock me in their trunk or whatever, you know, he can't stand the thought of her being apart from him. It's like very toxic, you know, dynamic or whatever. And I think that also, I just saw that kind of infiltrate the people that I was around, especially it was just 
I don't think I ever thought I would speak this much about Eminem in my life <laughs> or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame full stop. So here mm-hmm. we are. Yeah, you the know? podcast will, will I guess bring I'm it really, all out. I'm really coming to grips with my past. There's a lot going on with Eminem that, like you said, it, it exceeds the binary of good and evil, you know, the best and the worst. And kind of going back to your connection to the three, Marsha, in your book, you lay out the three personas that mm-hmm. exist within Eminem, which is kind of crazy that I feel like I never really thought about how, oh yeah, he is sometimes referring to himself as Slim Shady and not Eminem. Suddenly, and I maybe am dumb or just never really thought about it, but like it clicks like, oh yeah, when he's Slim Shady, he sounds different than when he's Eminem or even when he's Marshall Mathers. Mm-hmm. I found that to be so fascinating, right? So, you know, when we think about effective communication, one of the things we think about is who am I as the speaker or the teller of this story? And what space am I allowing myself to occupy when I have to say what I have to say? Or what space does society let me occupy? And what's so fascinating and artful, I think, about his three personas is that it allows him three different spaces to tell these stories. So you've got, you know, Eminem, who's this business kind of mastermind behind the whole thing, deploying these personas and aligning himself in these different directions. You've got Slim Shady, who is going to just slaughter you if you get on his bad side. And P.S., everybody's on his bad side, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then you've got Marshall Mathers, this very thoughtful, almost spiritual person who has a lot to say about guilt and redemption and these issues of addiction, right? And and family and human connection. And so it's a really powerful way, I think, of sharing multiple messages at the same time. And when I talk about this with my students or even now with, um, you know, with my clients and my colleagues, I talk about what can we learn from this as a strategy for being an effective communicator? Are there things we can do, especially when we may have to tell a hard truth that can help get the message out there and let us feel less vulnerable and a little more safe as we say these things that are inevitably going to piss people off? Yeah. I hadn't realized the Sasha Fierce of it all. Like I had not, I hadn't, it had not occurred to me. I also don't listen to a lot of Eminem, but you passively take in a lot of Eminem existing in this society. And I know that that will come up too. It's like, he's such an ever-present cultural figure. You're listening to Eminem, whether you mean to or not, it Mm -hmm. is just a part of life. Yeah, for sure. And like, listen, I was a 12 year old white boy when Slim Shady LP came out. I feel like I was directly like in the crosshairs of the target audience Mm -hmm. for that. And a lot of my classmates and, you know, I guess it was in, I think it was in sixth grade or, or seventh grade when that came out. Out and it was such a phenomenon. I didn't think I was paying attention to it, but it, you couldn't not. It was just such a, and continued to be for the next several years, a huge pop culture force that you know so much about without even trying to. I love and hate that, I think, about Eminem and about his work, right? Because it is almost so ever-present. And then I think it contributes to increased polarization, especially during this period of time that we're talking about. And at the same time, because it is everywhere and we don't get a break, it's sometimes hard to see how culture has shifted in response to so much of what he says. Like when I started listening to Eminem, never would have thought he'd be at the Super Bowl in 2022, taking a knee with Dr. Dre and Snoop and the whole team and making 
what might be considered a corporate statement, right? Um, that was unfathomable to me in 1999. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. I don't want to spoil uh, <laughs> where we're going next, but eager to have that conversation. Before we really get into talking about this stuff, I think it's worthwhile to kind of review the history of Eminem and where he came from and everything that led up to Slim Shady LP and like when the world at large found out about him. And, you know, it's been documented slash exaggerated in his music and in a very popular movie, but uh, he came out of the underground scene in Detroit. At first was in a duo like when he was a kid he start he got his start when he was very young yes he got his start when he was very young it was part of a ill-fated uh duo but i think i think that was important right for him to realize because we know a couple of things from his interviews and his story that he was idolizing LL cool j this whole time so that idea of being his own kind of rock star within himself was beginning to be formed and, and influenced there. And then secondly, I think coming out of Detroit is really important, especially for the time that he hit MTV and started making it big, right? We got to think about like Biggie and Tupac and their deaths and their, you know, rhetorical and other types of battles going on between mm-hmm. the West Coast and hip hop culture and media. And so all of a sudden you have this whiny white boy from the Midwest who doesn't sound white, definitely isn't talking all the time about white stuff, and is just kind of giving us a different way in to hip hop at this moment of time. And so I kind of think about it almost as like a very strange release of some tension that was happening there, but then made us tense in a whole bunch of other ways that we've already been talking Mm -hmm. about today that may not have been expected at the time. But I think, you know, coming from Detroit is also really important just in terms of, we know um, the economics of Detroit. We know that there were a lot of riots there in the 60s and 70s. And then we saw until very recently, a horrible economic downturn in that area, right? So, you know, we think about what kids were and weren't getting in school, how much more incredibly racially segregated the area became, how he and his um, nuclear family were very transient. So there was a lot of moves all over the place. So there was a lot going on that didn't really give him, I think, a lot of stability, right, that we would all hope to have as kids. And I think he's talked about this in some of his interviews. And so these personas, as we get back to it, become a different way to kind of create that stability and feel a little safer as he's sharing what he has to say. I mean, I remember like, yeah, the void left after uh, Biggie and Tupac were murdered. And yeah, it's interesting. Like what a surprise to fill that void. You know, who, (laughs) who could have seen that coming? Like that was truly shocking. A white guy rapping about poverty and like hood issues is like we hadn't seen that on a massive scale yet and you know it when we think about like the census and and what those data show us over time like that is absolutely the majority of folks who experience poverty in this nation right are white Mm -hmm. folks so this was a huge voice and a huge gap to be filling and then you know when we think about like how he's use the stereotypes that come out of that, that are particular to white folks, you know, in poverty, that's really interesting. And also threatening, right? Is, is that a message that the nation was comfortable hearing? No. no. Not. <laughs> that's, right. that's not a rhetorical question. Right. The answer, the answer is, is no. no. <laughs> right. 
Uh, so when he was coming up in Detroit, he he kind of bounced around between different groups. Presumably the name Eminem came out of the fact that he was rapping with his buddy Mike Ruby. And so Mike and Marshall, M and M. And then that just kind of became his own moniker. He was in a group called New Jacks, became Soul Intent. That's uh, Proof, the rapper Proof, who, you know, more notably was in D12. He was in that group with Eminem, and that's kind of one of the the peers for Eminem as he was coming up in that scene. And we mentioned there is this 1996 album, which is the, that's the recording that makes him eligible for the rock hall this year called infinite, which was his debut, but it's not, he's not, he didn't figure out slim shady at this point. And he's still, like you said, he's like trying to be Nas a little bit. Like it's not, it has not fully, not fully formed. Yeah. For me, when I when I listen to that and I listened to it again the other day in preparation for our, our, our conversation today, I saw like the Marshall Mathers persona there mm-hmm. trying to emulate the voice of Nas, but it wasn't really compelling. I mean, it sounded beautiful. Um, the content was really fascinating, but it was also way too straight laced for the person we now call Eminem. Like it was like, yeah, I got to figure out how I'm going to get this right for my family. Like we got to change our economic situation. I'm having really problematic relationships with my baby's mom. And I don't really know how I'm going to do this. I mean, it sounded, it sounded like not. And so, um, you know, what was going to, what was going to make a white guy talking about this more interesting. And I think that's where um, we begin to see the need for Slim Shady come about. You know, so Infinite Bombs, mm-hmm. uh, it, it doesn't do well. I think the kind of rage and frustration out of that is part of what fuels the creation of Slim Shady, which Eminem has said came to him on the toilet. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the poets of our generation. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, the, and, and Slim Shady is the sadistic alter ego clown who can who says what he thinks when that starts to develop that's when things start to take off and there is a slim shady ep that -hmm. was released and that's the the snowball begins the source features him as unsigned hype and then this rap olympics thing in 1997 is a very important inflection point absolutely i think that's where he was seen to just put it plainly right um and not just seen as this white person doing this, but also seen to be this incredible student of rap, to be seen in that audience, to be able to compete at that level and hold his own. And then, you know, to get the attention of mainstream producers and and start having real conversations about where to go. And that certainly, I mean, for me as someone looking back, who was just, you know, at that time, just really interested from a fan's perspective, that's when I was like, okay, we're going to go a long way here. I don't know where we're going, but we're going to go a long way with this one. So this Rap Olympics event, he comes in second, you know, and he loses to a guy who is now only known for Losing for beating Eminem one time and never again for the rest of his life. Um, But, you know, it catches the eye. I think like an intern at Interscope Records was there. He gets his hand on the Slim Shady EP. He brings it back to, you know, Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre. And Dr. Dre kind of loses his mind and is like, we got to find this guy immediately. 
And that's, they sign them with uh, Aftermath and Interscope. That's right. And not without some controversy in that process too. So the other thing I forgot to mention with the Rap Olympics is that there's this guy named Cage, who's another white rapper based in New York City at the time. And I remember seeing him several times and he also exhibited this Slim Shady-esque persona and had been doing it for quite some time. And so he has alleged that Eminem had seen this and that the idea didn't maybe just come from being on the toilet, but had also been inspired from being in the audience at his shows too. True or not, I don't know, but worth mentioning. And it's something they would kind of go back and forth on throughout the years. Um, but yeah, that that takes us to the beginning, so to speak. Now with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it is frustrating and confusing as to why one artist gets in over Another, how do you even begin to try and be objective with uh, an art form that is so inherently subjective? Uh, So what I've done, because I'm a nerd, I have reverse engineered a list of categories where I think if you do well in those, you have a decent shot at induction. So we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to see how Eminem stacks up in the categories. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. Uh, we hope over your break. Uh, you... you you thought about the a la carte listeners out there, the one-offs, the people who take a little sampling at their leisure. And not just listeners, the a la carte people in life <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> who come by, have one or two, and then they're on their way. Mm-hmm. All right. So Eminem, uh, this is his first year eligible. This is his first nomination, obviously. His... 1996 debut album, as we said, Infinite. That is what makes him eligible this year. Uh, His previous Hall appearances, he inducted Run DMC in 2009. And then just last year... Goddamn, goddamn. Unannounced, a complete surprise. It made us scream because we were in the audience there at the induction ceremony uh, for LL Cool J. He came out and performed with him and he was he was sporting a, a hat and a beard so at first you're like who is that and then he started, <laughs> started rapping and you're like that is that is Eminem and it was very very cool okay so let's begin with the first category iconic slash recognizable songs songs that you know even if you aren't a big Eminem fan there are so many here that I think it might behoove us to go chronologically just to give us a sense of, you know, it'll also allow us to continue to a little bit tell the story of Eminem, but like trying to put these in order, but not chronologically might just get a little messy. So I think we should just start with the big breakout from the Slim Shady LP in 1999. Went to number 36, the big debut, the breakout introduced everyone to who Eminem was. I remember it being on MTV. Uh, like that was like very much the TRL days where mm-hmm. whatever was the biggest song in the nation was the biggest music video in the nation. And that was a cool video too. It was, it was. I remember, you know, it started and stopped. There was slow motion. There were these close-ups. There were these pans, right? Everything was kind of gray. And then Eminem appears in full color and uh, begins to introduce himself to us in all his complexity. And also that like really is 
the the nation's introduction to him and it is an introductory song he's literally saying here's who i am here's what i'm about here's all these celebrities who can go suck it the celebrity thing is interesting because that like begins the trend you know it's like each album has it's typically the lead single it's almost a time capsule in a way you look at like who was relevant at the time it's spice girls nine inch nails pamela lee like you can go and pinpoint like oh i know exactly when this came out yeah i mean it's it's so important too when we think about just also where politics is going how media is starting to converge this is also the rise of reality tv right so all of these things he's talking about in the music to really paint a picture of where does all this angry shit come from, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's so important when we look back and you can talk about Christina Aguilera and Fred Durst and Will Smith doesn't have to curse, but I do. That's changed 25 years later, right? Yeah, oh my God, how that has changed ever so recently too, just like to put a finer point on it, you know? I think to your point, it shows like this real critical brilliance for marking moments in time. And and what is good storytelling if it doesn't do that, Mm -hmm. right? So yeah, I agree. We have to start with my name is, and my grandpa probably wouldn't forgive us. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, and that song too, the production on that song is kind of silly. Mm -hmm. It's It's ridiculous. It's not traditional rap production that you're getting. You're getting something very weird, very interesting, off kilter. It is such a surprising song. And then this guy's white. It's got so many different layers to it that are surprising and innovative for that time as well. There was rap beef and stuff like that, but people were not coming for people outside of their genre as often. He was really <laughs> not afraid to take on like very massively cult- popular cultural figures. I-, I don't think you were seeing that as much in other music. I agree with you. I think I think that's that is first and foremost a hip hop thing, this confidence and this bravado. Mm-hmm. But I think that's also a place where we do see what a well-positioned white rapper can do, mm-hmm. in that, right? Is yes. like play on that privilege and be like, I'm going to talk about you and you and you and you. And by the way, the president too, right? Mm-hmm. And who's going to talk back? That's also interesting and important as our media and our culture continue to develop. What is the importance of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? It all feels like it's starting to merge together. And so it's the Rock Hall of Fame, it's the Politics Hall of Fame, it's all these things all the time. And I think he's a a great example for, for helping us identify that. Well, and this is also coming out at a moment in time when I personally wasn't familiar with like the concept of white privilege. Like I, I'm sure I understood it. I remember having thoughts like I'd be treated differently if I wasn't white, but I, I like the phrase hadn't broken through. The mm-hmm. meaning wasn't so well understood. And I think he, like you say, really was able to use his privilege in really like shocking and interesting ways. I don't know how much he was like, I'm like trying to decide, I don't know, maybe I just was, you know, I was a kid, I'm not necessarily paying attention to the broader cultural conversation at the time. But like, you know, I wonder how it must have been brought up. And you know, it comes out like he does start to really acknowledge often, like how much of his popularity 
and like the way that people quote unquote identify with him and what makes him quote unquote safe. And like, we've talked about this many times on our show that he was like the only rapper that was played on alternative radio stations when we were growing up. Like and alternative like, rock, which yeah. means, yeah. Which Telling. means you're white. When he first came out of the gate, I don't think any of that conversation, just we didn't know what, what was hitting us yet. I also think it's worth mentioning, you know, we talked about his bravado, but also the fact that he also rapped about how his life sucks. Yes. Felt like a different mm -hmm. thing for hip hop that we were used to bragging or my life's great. Uh, and that he was coming out and being like, I, I suck. My life sucks. My life was hard and I'm fucked up. Mm -hmm. And I think that felt like a, one of the many things that was so shocking and felt maybe even fresh. Yeah. We were not seeing confessional rap yet. We were not seeing it at all in the mainstream in particular. Mm -hmm. Like you were maybe seeing like conscious rap had some sort of personal narratives occasionally and stuff like that. But I feel like at this time, mainstream rap, you're right. Exactly. It, it's so interesting. I'm just thinking about also it made people feel like they knew him, yes. you know, and that is something that we now kind of take for granted because of social media. You're, wow. You're really starting to make me think that he was so like <laughs> ahead of his time that he really did just sound the alarm or like, you know, heralds the coming of much that we now live in, which is, yeah, we take for granted that we know and understand artists like lives that we have access to them and that they're going to be like honest in their music or that they're going to be honest with their persona is going to be like a version of them or whatever that they mean what they say because he was rapping about his real life you know he had been poor he had a toxic relationship he had a child he had all of these things and like he let us in and I think that in a way is the opposite of toxic masculinity like it is vulnerable to share yourself with people I don't know that the message was getting across necessarily <laughs> right. but I do think that like it is telling and it is a thing that has sold millions of records for a lot of people, Kanye West, but like that is the first big rapper to come out and say, this is what my life is actually like. And it even affects the dreams that I have. So let me tell you about this song where I'm putting my baby's mother in a trunk mm -hmm. talk about how fucked up that is. I think that comes from a lot of different places. Definitely, definitely. I agree with you. It's sounding the alarm about toxic masculinity and toxic white masculinity. And I think it's another way we can see that white privilege coming out, right? I mean, LL Cool J could never, could never threaten to kill a celebrity in a song. Are you out of your mind? Mm -hmm. Right? Um, to kill know, a white celebrity in a right, song. Right, mm -hmm. right, right. To be clear. So, you know, this is another way that we begin to see him like pushing the envelope and really taking this notion of privilege and stereotype and like turning it on its head. And while in no way, could I ever live in a world where I, where I could condone a literal interpretation of his lyrics, particularly about women? There is something to think about there in terms of what if women don't need saving? They certainly don't need harming, but what if women don't need saving? And what if that's not his role as a white man and rapper, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it certainly gives us a lot to think about. And so I would say my name is is likely the only song from the Slim Shady LP that your casual yeah. music listener would know. I huh? think worth mentioning, not technically an Eminem song per se, 
but forgot about Dre. Days, everybody wanna talk like they got something to say, but nothing comes out when they move their lips. Just a bunch of gibberish and motherfuckers act like they forgot about Dre. Mm-hmm. It, that you know that came out in two thousand is essentially a Dr. Dre Eminem collaboration, and you could make the argument that you know the impact that Eminem has in that song, he kind of runs away with it. I think so. And I, I think he certainly contributes to the resurrection of Dr. Dre's relevance and mm-hmm. career for the 21st century. One of the things I love about that song, in addition to just how it sounds and how it makes you feel and, and this idea of not forgetting where the music comes from, which is mm-hmm. also important for him to do as a white person, this idea of just never apologizing for who he is or what he's about. Um, and saying that this wouldn't be possible if not for what Dr. Dre, Snoop, and all these folks have done before. And I think that's critical because there are very few other white rappers who have stayed in the game as true to hip hop the way Eminem has and not crossed over intentionally Mm -hmm. into something else, right? So Mm -hmm. that bears mentioning and forgot about Dre is a key moment there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, he is that song. He mm-hmm. is that song. He's the best part of that song. Dr. Dre is not a great rapper. I said it. Uh, he's not. <laughs> and he would probably admit <laughs> he that probably too. Admit you that know. too. He's not a great rapper. And Eminem is the reason that that song slaps. And that's absolutely like an Eminem song. Let's go on to the Marshall Mathers LP from oh, 2000. That's me. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there, there's a number of songs on here that you will still hear that people still recognize. I mean, the lead single is almost like My Name is Part Two is the real Slim Shady. And that one went to number four. And you've got, like I said, it's it's more of the very specific pop culture references. It's got like kind of a, a bouncy, almost like light beat to it again it's that you are exactly correct it is like the natural predecessor it is the twin to my name is is. yeah you've got more pam and tommy you've got tom green christina aguilera carson daly fred durst like it's again the time capsule and also you have that same kind of weird upbeat not very hip-hop beat being used like kind of a carnival beat a bouncy kind of annoying kid-like thing happening over and over again repeating and feeling very bouncy and like fun but then he's also just you know talking shit about everyone it's very it's part of why i think he gets away with it you know if that was set to a darker harsher beat you wouldn't as easily accept it i think yes I think so too. And I will never forget the Radio City performance of that, right? At the VMAs. Oh, yes. Um, when he comes in with all the imitation Slim Shadies, right? And oh, yeah, yeah. essentially all the shaved head, white, blonde, the- dyed. It made me think of a couple of things. Like, one is when I was re watching LL Cool J get inducted to the Hall of Fame and in some of LL's other performances, whenever he does um, Mama Said Knock You Out right? He has all these boxers come in in their hoodies and then yeah, the, the B-Boys, LL, right? And so I thought, oh my God, that's where Eminem got that from. Okay. First of all, I found the origin in LL Cool J. That's important. <laughs> but secondly, right? This idea exactly to your point that I think the song shows that he is aware of the effect that it's having on youth. And he's mm-hmm. saying, uh-uh-uh. There's only one here and let's pay attention to some media literacy, which I I know is going to take us into 
a song that we're going to talk about. Yes. Right. I mean, we might as well go to that, you know, a song that is very much about the way the media perceives him and who he is. And potentially like the first major look at Eminem as not a clown, but more brooding and dark, which is the way I am. Whatever you say I am. If I wasn't, then why would I say I am? In the paper, the news every day I am. Radio won't You know, a song that went to number 58 and is more intense and not from the Slim Shady persona. And you can hear that. Absolutely. I mean, for me, this is the beginning of Eminem helping me understand how I would feel when social media was really taking a prominent role in my life and the way I communicated and was trying to figure out the world. And just this idea that we are constantly letting other people tell us who we are and that it is crazy making. And so what do we do there? How do we take a breath? Can we extract ourselves from this ecosystem, right? And unfortunately, in that song, he um, doesn't find a way that's healthy. And that, that's a song I feel like I still hear all the time. I think it's, it's, a re- it's a one that continues to resonate with, with people. Well, and it's him like reckoning with his cultural relevance, you know, which he will do over and over again throughout many songs in the future, but it is rare at this point in time to see someone do that. Although, you know, I mean, I think of like Run DMC and things Mm -hmm. like people talking about people coming at them because they're famous now and they want to, like they can't do anything because they're so famous, but it's usually like a, a little bit rosier of a version of that. And this was like a pretty gritty, brutal, and again, like, yeah, media literate version of that kind of idea. To your point, you know, as I'm hearing us talk about it, there's also that trauma you hear in this song, like of this sadness of not being understood. Even with this giant platform and you hear this song 10 times a day, I don't know if my message is getting across. Like, I think mm-hmm. that goes to the darkness and the intensity there. Uh, let's talk about a song that, you know, some will consider to be Eminem's best. I've seen it at the top of some lists. I mean, it's so iconic that it spawned its own dictionary term stand what it was like for people like us growing up you gotta call me man i'll be the biggest fan you'll ever lose sincerely yours stand p.s we should be together too i love this song this this is the song i use when i when i was teaching communication courses this was the song i did a whole lecture around to help us think about parasocial relationships and the power that we invest in the media that speak to us, right? And what happens when that can go wrong? Mm -hmm. Um, Oh my gosh, where do we want to start with this one? I just want to point out, we use the word Stan on this show quite a bit, you know, and when I say it's a dictionary term, literally added in 2017 as, you know, a toxic fan, or not, at this point, it doesn't even mean toxic. Yeah, I thought it was like stalker fan. Yeah. It even just means a big fan at this yeah. point, you know, but its origins are obviously much darker because of the song. Um, and it went to number 51 on the on the pop charts. It is ranked number 223 on the latest Rolling Stone 500 greatest songs of all time. You know, it's it's got that Dido sample, which was I don't think Eminem knew that it was as recent of a sample. I think he thought it was an older song, but I, I think that is kind of funny. It's interesting that Usually you don't see a sample from a song that like just came out like a year Mm -hmm. ago, you know? When I think about this song, I also can't not think about the version that was sung at the Grammys Mm -hmm. with 
Elton John stepping in mm-hmm. to do the Dido parts, but also, you know, his presence there singing that song meant so much more than just, you know, it was mm-hmm. uh, symbolic in a way. Absolutely symbolic and an important moment of allyship, an important moment of collaboration, um, and just an important signal that maybe there's something we're missing here mm-hmm. when we're just taking that first, you know, casual glance at the video or the, or the music or the message. Right. And I think that was something that I really was like grappling with wrestling with when this song came out too, because I, you don't, I don't want to be like, Oh, I got it. But like, I got it in a way that the people around me were not getting it. And it was like, that was the upsetting part. Not that this song exists, but that like someone could watch that video or like listen to that song and think, cool, right? <laughs> this is good. It's not what's being said. It is an exploration of feeling and it is like a cautionary tale. He's not like, I love that I could have this crazy fan. He's literally saying I could have a crazy fan out there who could take my my lyrics so seriously that they could do this horrible thing. Isn't that fucked up? And instead people were like, wait a minute. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I'm here for it. That's been like my biggest problem was that I was seeing the people around me really misunderstand and misinterpret a lot of what seemed like clear satire. And it is like so many of his things are like pointing out hypocrisy and being kind of very tongue in cheek, but it's like so easy to just not take that in to just see it for I'm trying to think of like, you know, some famous political examples. I just feel like this kind of stuff happens all the time, you know, Mm -hmm. where it's like Trump wants to come out to born in the USA, you know, or whatever, like on the stage, you're misunderstanding what's going on here. Let's move to the Eminem show in 2002. Again, it's like we get the the third part that began with my name is without me. Without me. number two uh, so it's like with with each album it's like he he keeps getting bigger and bigger uh you know at, at this point this was his biggest uh pop chart hit uh and i want to point out this has one billion streams on spotify it has 1.3 billion views on youtube we'll talk about it more at length but just the the sheer numbers that eminem puts up is astounding but yeah again we've got the bouncy beat we've got the slim shady persona we've got topical pop culture references chris kirkpatrick lip biscuit <laughs> moby uh some <laughs> some funny ones in this one but I, I still i feel like i i still hear this song as well and i mean chris and you almost said it for real slim shady but he quite literally is going yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. like he he's almost taking the subtext like, and making it text yes uh, that's right this one oh my gosh this one is so powerful because really he he's doing exactly what you said joe right he's saying okay you all are not getting this so i'm gonna yes. try to a little bit clearer for the folks in the back right mm-hmm. this is about controversy this is about polarization this is about a very dark place that our culture is heading toward can we finally start talking about it, right? Even if we can't dance to it. And so for me, this song is that moment in time where he's just getting more, I think, obvious. And I think, I think it makes sense. 
he puts up those numbers now. We know anything he touches is going to be beyond platinum, right? Mm-hmm. And so let's just take it a step further and let's just really start saying what we what we mean to say. And then another big song off of the Eminem show, I would say, is Cleaning Out My Closet. Mama, I never meant to hurt you. I never meant to make you cry, but tonight I'm cleaning out my closet. Went to number four and here a familiar theme with Eminem, the criticisms aimed at his mother. That's really interesting, especially for hip hop, right? Where moms are like venerated, right? Mm-hmm. Especially from black and Latino rappers, like we don't touch the mama ever. And so this is a very different way to, it's the wrong word, but I'm going to use it anyway, to celebrate and heal right from this very dysfunctional difficult relationship that has admittedly screwed up the way he's seen the world for many many years of his life mm-hmm. right and and that's powerful and it's vulnerable and i think it it spoke to and continues to speak to a lot of people and he has suffered legally yes. from his uh music that addresses his mom even from the even from my name is when he he has a few lines about his mom it has triggered lawsuits and back and forth and she put out a song she put out a response track just trying to you know take on these accusations one by one well the real marshall mathers please stand up and take responsibility for his actions she also put out a memoir of sorts where Mm -hmm. she tried to deal with some of this stuff and i've listened to the song and i've read i've read her book in its entirety and and they're interesting i mean she starts out by talking about how because of her family's poor socioeconomic status, they worked in fields with a lot of Black sharecroppers in the South. And that is where the ear started for that family in terms of listening to Black music, which I thought was interesting. She also talks about like how she was able to keep the family together using legislation that applies to Native American family. Mm. And in order to do that, she had to prove their status as Native American. And that is something that he chooses not to talk about in his work and in his life, but is is something she used to keep them out of foster care, he and his brother, right? So it's complicated. Gosh, I don't know what else to say. But when you have those extra pieces of information and assume that there's a degree of truth to them, the story gets even more interesting. No doubt. You know, Eminem's show came out in 2002, but the biggest thing for Eminem, even though that album was huge, the biggest thing that happened in 2002 was 8 Mile. Mm -hmm. And then potentially his biggest song, like if I did have to rank them in terms of what I thought was the most iconic, what was the most recognizable, it would be Lose Yourself. the most recognizable Eminem song. And it was the first one to go to number one. Which is so wild because he was so prevalent in pop culture at that time among the youth. Like maybe he wasn't, I and people were still buying albums. It's not like, I'm so shocked that these songs weren't like, um, maybe when we get to albums, it'll be different, but. 1.3 billion streams on Spotify. It's the number 84 most stream song ever on Spotify, which is a difficult metric for a song from 2002. All but five songs on the list are from the 2010s and after. To give you an idea of how big this song has to be, 1.2 billion views on YouTube, and that's just from a random account. 
That's not from <laughs> not the Vivo, official not account. the Vivo version. No, it's just from some random account on the Rolling Stone Best 500 Songs list. It's number 167. It won an Academy Award. It's the first rap song to do so. Also, the first rap song to be nominated for Song of the Year. I mean, it's the definitive Eminem song. Also, and quickly, how many songs outside of Jimmy Buffett have their own restaurant? There is a Mom's Spaghetti. Right. In Detroit. Wow. We the pop-ups here in the, in the LA area during the Super Bowl as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So Gotta it's just, it. it's it. Lose Yourself is like on its own level. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think this is where moms started paying attention to Eminem in a maybe he's not so evil kind of way. Right. I think, and I think the movie goes a long way there, right? Like it, it explains this troubled relationship that he had with it, with his mom. And the song really just makes you want to root for him. Mm-hmm. It's like Rocky, right? Yeah. Just- it is Rocky. Like that's, that's our generation's Rocky, like Absolutely. for sure. It is the most pump up song mm-hmm. that exists that has come out in my lifetime for sure. Without a doubt. Yeah. People are exercising to lose yourself right now. Yeah. Any any given moment of any day. Yeah. I guarantee it. Absolutely. I think LeBron James talks about it. it's like always on his rotation. That and uh, the way I am are on his exercise list. If if we had to, that's probably lose yourself as at the top. It just yeah. for so, so many reasons. In 2005 on Encore, I really don't think there's actually anything from this album that anybody still hears out in the wild anymore. Just lose it. Lose it. I mean, Herman. that I just song is so that. strange because unlike the kind of songs that came before it, the pop culture references were already dated when he did them. You know, this is 2005 and he's like taking on Michael Jackson getting set on fire and like Blonde Ambition, Madonna and Pee Wee Herman. It was just, yeah. it was a it, to me like a big miss. And also like the hook is him doing a Pee Wee Herman laugh. It's like not a song I really want to listen to. And it also just, it doesn't feel as biting as like Mm-mm. the lead singles felt from the three albums prior. I, I had forgotten about it. And then I, I listened to it and I was like, what, what is, what is happening here? Generally encore is, is not, you know, considered to be, it was popular of course, but like, I don't think there's anything that really sticks around from encore. And then, you know, around this time is when Eminem went to rehab and there were rumors that he would retire. They did do at this moment, a greatest hits compilation curtain call same year. We do get a song, and I'm curious if you guys think this is a song that still people know. And if I don't know if this is just my bias because I was in college at the time. Shake that. Oh, I remember that yeah. song. Worth mentioning. It's not towards the top, but like a song you'll maybe still hear has a good hook. But then, yeah. you know, it's it relapsed in 2009. A lot of songs in this album that were hits, but I don't feel like they really had any staying power. Recovery in 2010. Now we, we should talk about the song Not Afraid. I feel like I don't remember it and I don't hear it that much, but it's worth mentioning for some of these stats. It went number one, 1. 1.6 billion views on YouTube. It's a single that went diamond which doesn't happen a lot Him and Lionel Richie, okay. Second most views on YouTube for Eminem. The first most views on YouTube for Eminem is another song off this album, which is a song I do know 
quite well. And I feel like I do hear a lot, which is love the way you buy. I, you know, <laughs> I, I was at a thing recently doing karaoke and my friend had gotten on stage and she was going to do both parts. And then literally our other friend <laughs> stood up from the audience and just off the top of his head started doing the Eminem part. And I was like, <laughs> I'm terrified. But like that song, I forgot just how ubiquitous that song is like one of the most, I, I also, I feel like that's top five for like most known mm-hmm. Eminem songs. Like, Oh yeah. I mean, uh, another one that went to number one, this one has 2.3 billion views on YouTube. Like it is far and away the most watched on there. It is just, it was all over the radio and it kind of still is. I still hear it. It's just a big, big pop song in addition yeah. to being an Eminem song. And like the power of Rihanna and Eminem coming together truly like rocketed it and to a different level. And both doing exactly what they do. You yeah. know, like Rihanna really singing a hook beautifully and then like Eminem coming in with just vulnerable passion rap. He's definitely doing a, uh, who's it when he's being himself, Marshall Mathers. He's like really Marshall Mathers in this, uh, in that song. Like you can hear it also in the type of, rapping that he's doing he sounds different when he is himself or the the persona version of himself or the more absolutely and I I mean to your point and I think we cannot discount Rihanna here right we've talked about it a little bit but this is also her moment of getting us behind that persona of Rihanna given everything that she has struggled with in her life with domestic Mm -hmm. violence as well right so it's this powerful moment of these two victims not just surviving and healing, but beginning to thrive and let go of what happened to them. And I think that's one of the reasons why it it resonates so much, given what we know about how toxic our culture is, right? Mm -hmm. Although that song to me also kind of ekes me out in a way, because I think a lot of people use it as a like, stars, they're just like us kind of way to be like, what a beautiful sentiment. Or I, I understand, I do think it's important to like, understand what they're also showing you that this is not working and these two people are both in pain Mm -hmm. uh and i hope that people get that (laughs) that's what i really Mm -hmm. you know i just i wish that context was just something that many people understood with you there (laughs) yeah um and then i think the last song i would say that people would know that's recognizable is when they kind of went back to the same well Rihanna Eminem collaboration on the Marshall Mathers LP two, uh, the monster. With the voice in my head saying, "Don't shoot the messenger." I'm just I'm friends, friends with, with the monster, the son of my Get along with the voices inside of my That was another number one hit. Not nearly as big as uh, "Love the Way You Lie," but still, I think it was pretty huge. And then I, I think, in my opinion, that's I think all the ones that. If you're mm-hmm. just living your life and not even trying to listen to Eminem, those are the songs that you would know, which is a lot. It, <laughs> it's so many. Rarely do we spend this much time on just the songs portion of someone's career. I think also there's a lot to unpack lyrically yes. and content wise, obviously. That says a lot about kind of him as a whole. Um, and let's, I didn't mention a lot of songs in the top 10 of the pop charts and like past that 
billion view mark on YouTube, but we have to drop a line somewhere. Otherwise we'll get caught in this category. So let's, let's talk about the next category though. Classic albums. In my opinion, it's those starting from Slim Shady LP, those first three Slim Shady LP, Marshall Mathers LP, Eminem show. That's like a trifecta of like an artist kind of at their peak, Mm -hmm. both commercially and critically. And to be able to do it consecutively also, I think was a very impressive feat. Mm-hmm. I would agree. And I will nominate recovery. I will add that as a fourth, distant fourth, but fourth mm-hmm. to the list. I think it's an important point in his story, right? Of like, I'm a grown up now also. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I'm, and I don't know that we have ever seen a rapper make that delineation. Like I am actually getting toward middle age and I'm going to be doing some different stuff now. I feel like Jay-Z tried it with 444. I feel like that's like his closest that we've seen. And that wasn't a super big success. If you and know. it was after this. Yeah, yeah and it was it, after it, this. It, yeah. Right. And also, yeah, he's much older than Eminem was when he made this album. Took him a lot longer to be like, oh, maybe I'm an adult now. Maybe yeah. Children. Now, let me let me pose this question to you guys. Do you think... Eminem is on the Rolling Stone 500 greatest albums list. Yes. Yes. Which, which albums. And then if you want to, one of the stupid things we do in the show is make an arbitrary guess for the make number. Make an arbitrary guess for where they are. <clears throat> oh, wow. I def- the Marshall Mathers album. I think Marshall Mathers is on there. It's just a masterpiece. And in a perfect world, I'd like to say it's in the top 10. I bet it's at like 144. So the Marshall Mathers LP is on the list and there are three iterations of this list and it oh, has, yeah, that's on the most recent one. I and think. so it has, it has climbed 302 in the first list in 2003. Mm-hmm. And then in the 2012 update, when things didn't really shift around that much, it climbed to 244. Mm-hmm. And then in the 2020, it's 145. <gasps> I guessed 144. You did. Good wow. for me. That was Good great. Good for me. Thank you. Slim Shady LP is also on there. Okay. Well, then that's probably what, mm, 215? I'm going to say lower than 215. Remember, throw out a number? Marshall Mathers is at 145. Let's say 220. Okay. So in the first list, it was 273. Then it dropped down to 275. And then in the big redux, 352. Oh. And the Eminem show. All three are on it. On the 2003 iteration, but dropped off for the 2012 and has not returned. So it had kind of just come out in 2003. Like it yeah, was- I think it was it was pretty fresh in people's minds and, and they mm-hmm. were excited by it, but it was at 317. So three of his albums have been on some, if not all the iterations of this list, which is impressive given the era and given the genre, because this list tends to skew a certain way. And it's usually older and, and more rock focused. So I think that is a, that's a good sign for the next category, critical acclaim. I mean, the, the critics really like Eminem as demonstrated by the appearances on all these lists. But let's, you know, what we do is we, we check in with Robert Criscow, self-proclaimed dean of rock critics. He loves Eminem. And here's the, uh, the quote I've pulled exceptionally witty and musical, discernibly thoughtful and good hearted, indubitably dangerous and full of shit. Hmm. There you have it. Really, really critically beloved, beloved. I believe it. I think it's really, 
I was just like revisiting a lot of his lyrics as we've been going over these songs and stuff and realizing too, like how much of them are in response to how much he was hated. Like so many of the songs on the second and third album directly address like, they won't play my video. I, they won't, uh, you know, they want to ban me. They want to censor me. Radio Nobody, won't even play my jams. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I'm an outsider. I'm an outcast. I'm an outlaw, which is interesting because he was being so accepted by like mainstream rock critics. But I think, you know, it was like he was freaking out suburban moms. And so he was experiencing some backlash, but it sounds like a lot of acceptance. I think so too. I mean, and when I think about folks whose opinions I trust when it comes to hip hop, I mean, there has never been anything but love for Eminem, right? So questioning sometimes, like, would this have success have been so massive if not for the way that, you know, racial and gender dynamics were, but never questioning talent, never, never questioning brilliance or beauty. Right. And that acceptance bleeds, obviously, into the commercial success accepted by the masses. I'm just going to run through some accomplishments in the commercial success category. So I think they're worth mentioning. And I just got to like spit it all out there because there's so many. Here are Eminem's diamond certifications. And just as a reminder, diamond is when you go 10 times platinum, 10 million. He has three songs that went diamond, uh, Lose Yourself, Love the Way You Lie, Not Afraid, and then the albums, Eminem Show, Marshall Mathers LP, and Curtain Call, The Hits. So he has six diamond certifications. All his albums have gone platinum, most of them multiple times. 13 have gone to number one. Recovery was the first album to sell over a million albums via download. Recently, after getting a bump from the Super Bowl performance, uh, he broke the record for the most gold and platinum singles certified in history. That's 227.5 million, 166 million single certifications and 61.5 million for albums. He's the best-selling music artist of the 2000s. He's the best-selling male music artist of the 2010s. He's the number nine best-selling artist of all time. He has over 10 billion views on his YouTube channel insane i don't know what else i i mean like we don't really have to say anything else it kind of speaks for itself he's the most commercially successful artist we've ever even talked about on this show and just of all time he's in the top 10 and that's including the beatles and elvis (laughs) and all the while making the case and pushing the boundaries for free speech taking on legislation making inroads in terms of how artists are paid for their digital downloads while having this amazing amount of success. So, I mean, I would say commercial success and legal success and cultural success and, and, and. Um, Let's talk about longevity. You know, how long was he putting out music that was relevant, popular, starting in 1999? And I'd say till now, Mm -hmm. like he's still putting out music that is going to the top of the charts. It may not be like his... He's not at his zeitgeist peak as he was like in the early 2000s. But, you know, he could be a musical guest on SNL next week and it wouldn't be weird. It would seem completely normal because he's still one of the biggest artists. Or on the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Although, I mean, with the Super Bowl. The Super like, Bowl really felt like a tribute performance. It felt like a old school. Well, like... I mean, like often the sometimes you do see with the Super Bowl performance, it's like a legacy act. And yeah, so you a legacy someone who's performance. Not. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I still I feel like he's still so relevant and popular. He had a number three hit in 2020. With what? 
Uh, Godzilla with Juice World. This beat is Craig Ray Ray J H A H A H A. Laughing all the way to the bank. I spray flames. They cannot tame a placate the monster. You get in my way. I'm a Wow. And while I think you know, you know, maybe some of these new songs are not hitting. I mean, we don't really have a monoculture anymore. Yeah, it's like still a- number three. So it was being played on the radio a lot. It was getting streamed a lot. He's still super super popular. Uh, let's talk about the next category: influence. There's Potentially a lot to say here. I mean, he's been credited as, you know, bringing hip hop to the suburbs, uh, so to speak, and kind of breaking down the doors for white rappers to be taken seriously. Like if you look at the white rappers who came before him and were popular, it's like Vanilla Ice and, and Marky Mark. Snow. Uh, <laughs> Snow. Yeah. I mean, like the, the Beastie Boys, certainly. But, the yeah. you know, I think Eminem was able to get to a more serious place with some of his music than the Beastie Boys ever really were. Okay. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know what I mean. No, I, I guess. That, yeah, that was hard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know I love the Beastie Boys, and I actually think they did a lot of very interesting and cool stuff. And I they mean, actually too. did something where they did try to reconcile with their past misogyny, which is mm-hmm. a thing that I really appreciate about them. I guess what I, I mean, what I mean is like for a solo white rapper. Yeah. Um, but the mind goes to like Post Malone and Mac Miller and G Easy. But also, I mean, he's been cited as a major influence on a number of non-white artists, which I think is worth pointing out. Tyler, the creator and Earl Sweatshirt of, of Odd Future and Kendrick and The Weeknd and Lil mm-hmm. Wayne and 50 Cent very directly, you know, w- was signed. Not unlike the way Eminem was Dr. Dre's protege, 50 Cent was kind of the next in line. The aforementioned Juice World, Chance the Rapper. I mean, like so many of the really important musicians that we have today cite Eminem as a very important influence. Well, and, you know, like Marsha was saying earlier, like he has done a thing that you hadn't seen before, which was he continued to to not cross over purposefully to stay a rapper and to be so aware and pay tribute to the past that came before him and to honor the people whose shoulders he stands on, which I think is very cool. This is the last time that I will talk about this, hopefully ever. The Ice-T documentary, The Art of Rap, it's like a bad documentary, but it has some great footage in it. 35% of it is helicopter shots of whatever city they're in. (laughs) But like the rest of it is these really great, just incredible interviews, incredible access. You're at Dre's house. You're seeing his like infinity pool off the side of a mountain. I mean, like it's insane. And the Eminem interview in that movie gave me such respect for him. It really changed how I viewed him, especially as a student of the craft, because I didn't watch 8 Mile. I grew up being like very reactionary toward what I saw was presented of other people's interpretation of his work around me. And so when I saw him literally just like paying homage to Tretch from Naughty by Nature and like showing me like how good of a rapper Tretch was through him. He's incredible. I will link you. I'll send you the clip, Joe, so you can post it on our social media mm-hmm. of sure. that interview because it is really cool. I share that interpretation of the Ice-T documentary. And I think it it that also is a moment in time in his career too, where we can see like he's transforming now. Like the strategy is starting to become clear. And there's this vision there that's both historical, but also interested in shaping the future that is powerful and lovely and an example of what being a good ally, being a good co-conspirator, being a good human being, doing business is about, at least for me. 
what is he up to now? Is he producing people? Is he, does he have a, like- So I on? just, I just saw today on Twitter, he is promoting his, one of his new protégés named Conway. Um, I have not listened yet, so I don't know. Conway East. Um, yes. Thank you. Sorry. I, so I'm out. I, I'm out. I must this- apologize. I, I cannot help myself. I'm, I'm programmed this way. <laughs> no, At least no, I know I-, I don't have that bad of COVID brain fog that I can still immediately make a terrible pun. Um, <laughs> Good work, Kristen. Uh, Thank so you. That, that's that's what I know generally. And I know in addition to the production work, there's the work with the, you can't call it a radio station, the Sirius XM hmm. station. He has his own, right? Shade 4-5. Mm-hmm. Licensing his work for use in political campaigns was really interesting to watch in the last election. Um, making political statements through battle raps like we saw at the BET award back in, I think, 2017. So there's all that. And then, of course, his songs are now being licensed in the Minions movies again. Oh, my gosh. As of this week. So so there's that, too, for the kids. Oh, gosh. Wow. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and he, re- I mean, he really does a- appeal to the to the kids, so to speak. I just l- I, looking at those numbers of of streaming, and knowing that they incorporate streaming now with some sort of ratio to the certifications, and he has the recent certifications that after the Super Bowl performance, that all is coming from streaming, where he's just amassing so many streams it's really something didn't he break his own spotify record like in december or january too right he just broke that record and now is suing spotify because they need to get paid differently as a consequence all that's happening too right um let's go to the next category artistry slash skill i mean sorry i really just had a bit of a breakdown about this that goes along with the the reverence he is he has such skill Right. I don't think that I there's the, the craft is the craft so is obvious, undeniable, uh, even on, just from a technical level. And then when you incorporate him, him as a lyricist, I mean, he's been compared to Lennon and Dylan. And like I saw somewhere he was compared to Shakespeare. I mean, could it be because he's white? Do you think? Do you? That's <laughs> that's definitely something to you know. Okay, I just you know I haven't consider. heard Jay Z compared to any of them. That's just a quick question for me. Would be just like why yeah. do you think? I someone who I think is like truly poetic is like Kendrick or like early mm-hmm. Kanye and stuff. But like no shade Jay Z, I guess. But like you're, he's fine. He's good. He's very good. But like when I think of like the best lyricists alive, I'm like oh, Kendrick mm-hmm. Lamar. Um, but yeah. like I think that he's so smart with the way it's like he's always aware and i'm now i can't believe i'm saying this like listeners will be shocked (laughs) i guess is what is what's happening right now because i do think just in really going back and looking and examining like the self-awareness with which he came at every stage of his career it is unique and interesting and the way that he is able to be such a skilled rapper with regard to like wordplay not only that but also can the self-referential nature of it and like capturing the moment in history that's unique that is skill that's craft that's artistry to put three words on it i mean across the board from lyrics to persona to flow to storytelling you name it, 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 he's got it. And it connects on such a broad level too, which is really impressive. He's one of the few artists on Rolling Stone's list of 100 greatest artists that is not in the hall. Hmm. And so let's go to the final category, which is 
potentially the most important category. Does my mom know who they are? And I feel like we, in a way, answered this question when you mentioned that your grandfather, who doesn't even speak English, knew who Eminem was. He's that type of ubiquitous figure. Everybody, whether they approve of him or know, even know a song, it's like everybody knows who Eminem is. I remember in 2011, I took a research trip to Israel and Palestine, and Eminem was the only artist that I heard played on both sides. Um, wow. wow. And that has stayed with me. Do you think they should bring him in to like help solve the crisis? <laughs> I'm like, maybe? It just came back to me in this moment. Wow. It's time for our verdict. Should Eminem be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Will he get in and will it be this year? We'll start with Kristen. Uh, this has been a long episode. I will keep it short. I think yes on all three. It will be this year. He will get in. He should get in. It's going to happen. I will be very surprised if he doesn't get in this year, considering especially the biggies, <laughs> the greats. Both, both literally, yeah, and, literally uh... and figuratively, that the greats get in, the, the greats of rap get in on their first year eligible. And he is one of the greats of rap and he can and he will and he should. Marsha, what do you think? Yes, yes, and yes. I'm thinking about what the Academy, what the Academy, what the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame will have to say if he doesn't get in, actually. I'd mm. be interested in that message. Mm -hmm. You know, he he fits the description of an FYE, a first year eligible inductee. He's one of the most popular artists of all time while remaining critically acclaimed. He's just a, such a huge figure. And like you said, Kristen, it's like the precedent's been set. Tupac, Biggie, Jay-Z, when one of these gigantic hip-hop figures becomes eligible, they get in on their first year. Not to mention he's been and playing he nice. Up last year. He's been he playing nice with the hall. flew to Cleveland. Now, granted, he might have been in Detroit, so it was not that big of a flight. He's fresh on everybody's minds uh, within the Rock Hall and has more or less, without having to say that he would show up and participate. He has shown that he, he would show indicated up and participate. Yeah, the likelihood. Exactly. So yeah, it's. I would say Dolly Parton was our lock until her weird statement. And now I think Eminem takes the place of our lock. I, I think we can count on Eminem being inducted this year. Now let's talk about his induction. Who do we think inducts Eminem? And I have a, I have a long list, but I'm curious, Marsha, what you think. Okay, I have been really, really thinking hard about this, and I've come down to who I think is the perfect person. And let me say why before I, I even say who it is, because I don't, I don't know another rapper who has had sim similar media longevity, whose understanding of the power of persona is as razor sharp, or who tells as good a story. And that person is actually Ice-T, believe it or not. Ooh. I think that's up Eminem to the rock and roll. I like it. Yeah, Ice-T has been very open about his love of Eminem. He has defended him when he maybe needed defending, uh, you know, as kind of a hip-hop elder. He has offered his support. Um, and he inducted Seymour Stein in the 2000s, so he has inducted people before. So, okay. you know, he plays nice with the hall. And so, yeah, and he's got that SVU cred to bring in the NBC... <laughs> NPC viewers, but no, that's, that's a great choice. I like that. And he's already in LA. Mm -hmm. Ceremony will be in LA this year. So yeah. 
So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people to be considered. I think, uh, you know, the obvious one is Dr. Dre, given their connection. Although Dr. Dre just, just inducted. inducted That's why I have to say no. That's why yeah. I have to Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't see that very often back to back, but if, if that's what they want to do, that's what they'll do. LL Cool J could kind of return the favor in a way, give a speech for Eminem. And along those same lines, if you want like one of your inspirations and someone to return the favor, you could get run and or DMC mm-hmm. to do it. A name that comes to mind is Elton John. Yeah. Especially when, you know, sometimes if you get a rock person, to kind of bridge that gap that can be meaningful. Uh, and Elton John, obviously he plays nice with the hall all the time. Mm -hmm. It would mean a lot of things because I think Elton John has maintained a friendship with Eminem. I believe he was a mentor during Eminem's stint in rehab. So there's a personal connection there as well. Um, and then if you go the other direction, you know, the, the people that have been influenced by Eminem, there's, if on one side it's Dr. Dre and the other side it's 50 Cent, mm-hmm. you know, his career was, he owes a lot to Eminem and being signed with his label. I mean, if the Rock Hall could do it, I don't see how they would pass up Rihanna. That's oh my gosh. I thought, does she want to do that? Right. Now? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't see Rihanna doing it at all. I don't my see it. Choice. She's right. going to have had her baby by then. And like, there's just ain't no way. Like she's already reclusive. She does not give a <laughs> fuck. <laughs> she is not trying right, right, right. To, to do Eminem a solid. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, I know, but like if, there'll be plenty if, of people who want to induct him. But if, uh, if, if they would, they would do it. Oh my God. I mean, yeah. get out of here. I would lose my mind. And then, you know, like you I said, would lose myself. <laughs> Kendrick, you know, w- would be good. He inducted NWA. Mm-hmm. That was back in 2016. So he's maybe due to come back around. Someone like Tyler, the creator, who it feels like keeps getting bigger and bigger, especially recently. I don't think they would go the machine gun Kelly route, but he is, you know, someone who is famous, but I really almost am thinking machine gun Kelly to bridge to an outside the music industry person because sometimes they they get people outside of music and it's a weird one but it would fit i wouldn't love it but pete davidson oh he's mm-hmm. slim shady right i mean that could be interesting that's better than machine gun kelly from yeah me. right yeah yeah no but and i think <laughs> actually <laughs> pete davidson would be like it's like a fun controversial choice you know which i could see him enjoying as well because right now he's so publicly having all this beef and all and you know and he's just like also having struggles with substance abuse and mm-hmm, also mm-hmm. you know there's like a lot of stuff that makes it a juicy pick well yeah which it's, is a, he- it's word, a headline but... headline pick um, <laughs> but, you, but you know the uh on snl he's done a few eminem parodies you yeah. know it, it seems like well, he really likes him and, and almost image wise is yeah. emulating him to some degree no i think that would like be a really fun choice like i think it would be really fun i don't think they'll go for it they are much more um traditional than that usually uh i yeah. don't think that i don't see them making like a fun semi-controversial choice and like bring pete davidson to la <laughs> to like be you know it's just also it would be cool i think that would be very fun i would love it it would it, it feels so eminem to do that actually but i think they'll probably instead you know roll out the red carpet for somebody that is like 
a rock and roll royalty name or like a rock and roll, you know, just like a, a rock hall respected person. But it'll be interesting to see. Uh, let's talk about the set. So Eminem performs. D12 hits the stage. <laughs> <laughs> Here is my, and usually it's about three songs. Maybe I'd say Eminem is probably a good candidate for a medley the way LL Cool J did it because uh, yeah. he wasn't just three songs. But if it is three songs, I think you open with Real Slim Shady. You know, I think it's a, it's a fitting opener. You know, won't the Real Slim Shady please stand up? Then I think your second song is when you get a duet, potentially a surprise duet. Now, this is where if you could pull out Rihanna for Love the Way You Lie, Boy. it would be like, it would blow everyone away. People but you would, could, yeah. But you also like, this is where you could do Stan and then you could have any number of people. It would be interesting if they pulled out Dido uh, from wherever Dido is now. Or England, for sure. Pull out uh, Elton for Stan. Or a more contemporary queer artist like a Frank Ocean or something yeah. like, you know, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. I, I think that that is like, a, it's like an update of yeah. the Grammys performance in a yeah, way. Yeah, don't don't redo the Grammys. Like, right? Improve. Yeah, and then I think you have to end on "Lose Yourself," in my opinion. There's a lot of ways to come make a yeah. combination. I know I don't think Eminem really likes "My Name Is." I don't think he loves that. I think he still plays it live, but I think I he's think, distanced himself from it a little bit. I think has distancing himself from it but I think to tell the story and to embody each persona I would like him to start with my name is mm-hmm. I, it has to be love the way you lie and if Rihanna's on maternity no f's to give then we have to find someone who would pale in comparison but who could do us some justice there and I think he has to end on rap god yeah rap god to me is like one for the heads you know it's like it's one of those songs it's on the marshall mathers lp too from 2013 mm-hmm. and it's one of those songs that has more than a billion views on youtube the the casual eminem listener might not know it but it is it's a big one i just i feel like it broke the guinness book of world records like i think that's showing where this is the bar mm-hmm. I think it goes in if there is a medley. That's like, what I, I think see that's it. what we're getting to. That's where we're going yeah. towards. Is it seems like a medley might be the way to do mm-hmm. it. There's too much to cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Three songs I don't think is going to get it. Well, and I also hope Dre comes out and does, you know, maybe they do Forgot About Dre a little bit. Like I could see them do a medley where he just does the hook from Forgot About Dre. Like Dre comes out for mm-hmm. like two seconds, like hypes him up exits somebody else like you know you could see a real rotating cast mm-hmm. it's like when he came out with ll that's what i'm thinking and they did their like their moment together and then he just bounced and then j-lo, j-lo came in yeah i think a similar you know. thing a precedent's been set a little bit and like he, ll has kind of shown the way not unlike with their music eminem can then take that and run with it i could see that happening i think i think a medley is very likely and warranted yeah, yeah. Medley. let's go. I'm curious. Yeah. About, you know, any of the pop culture references or whatever, if he would update them or like shout out or shout down anyone in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, it'll be exciting to see. It'll be exciting for him to perform. That um, is true. It's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to it. And the, 
the ceremony is in LA this year. Marsha, would you go? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Oh, good. We're going to be there. So yeah. Okay. It's, it, it's going to be awesome. And I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Marsha, thank you so much for joining us. This was so, so great to talk to you and a lot of fun. Yeah, thank truly. you so much for having me. This has just been a pleasure. You were the, you were the perfect person to talk to uh, mm-hmm. about this. So I'm so glad that you agreed to do it. Um, and I want to give you the opportunity to, I know you have books you've published, anything you want to get out there, you want to tell the people about. Sure. Um, since we've talked about Eminem today, the book I wrote about Eminem is unsurprisingly called Eminem, The Real Slim Shady, where we kind of have a larger look at everything we've talked about today. The other book that I'm really also proud of is um, a book about racial passing and how folks have used that as a strategy to communicate and survive. And that's called Clearly Invisible. So you can find those and find me on my website, MarshaDawkins.com or on Twitter at AskDrD. And um, you'll find me listening to some Eminem. Perfect. Well, thanks again. Uh, And of course, our listeners know they can follow us at RockHallPod on Twitter and Instagram. RockHallPod at gmail.com is the email. If you want Kristen to read your message, you're going to need to designate that somewhere in there. Otherwise, I'm not going to afford it because she doesn't want to read it. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us. Five stars only. Anything less than five would be cruel. So don't be cruel to us. Uh, Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusu Kim for the music. Thank you to Pantheon Podcasts for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares about the Rock Hall? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.